Hello, John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Stronger Die podcast. Today, my guest is Jerry Handley, owner of Viking Performance Training. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm doing real good. Got my coffee. I'm ready to go. All right, good deal. Ne- never without the coffee. Um, so uh, there's probably maybe a couple viewers out there that don't know who you are. Um, <clears throat> if you take a moment just to um, tell us about you and Viking Performance, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, open Viking performance training just a little bit over four years ago. Definitely one of the top spots to train in really all of the East Coast, but definitely uh, West Virginia's top, I would say. We focus on specialized training regardless of goals, but I mean, my former niche is athletes as well as strong men and strong women. Um, we've been huge as far as that goes and pushing them as well as like team success and individual success both. Before opening the gym in 2014, I was a strength coach at West Virginia University for 10 years. At some point in time, I had every team there that I mean, at least experience with. I mean, whether it was your biggest sports like football, basketball, all the way down to sports that most people don't even really think of when they're typically thinking collegiate strength and conditioning, like rifle being probably one of the top ones with that, rowing, you name it. At some point in time, I had, uh, had experience with all of them. So um, tell us a little bit about um, the rifle uh, team training, because that's a big one that I don't think a lot of people would even – you're definitely not going to think barbells and rifles. <laughs> right, that's a good point. I mean, really, that's where um, a big part of your whole get strong or die portion comes from. And that's that if you're training people correctly, or if you actually know why you're training people, then you can train somebody for anything. If, it, if, it's, if it's an activity, period. And that's because you, if you understand how the body works, then you can take an activity and find a way to make that physical activity better. And that's really where rifle came in. I knew nothing about what rifle needed to do other than hit targets before I started working with them. But, um, you know, like basically I should, I, you're, like you should do anytime you're, you deal with a new athlete or a new team like that as a strength and conditioning coach or a personal trainer, either way. Had a meeting with the coach, uh, learned more about the sport itself, and he told me a lot of things that I didn't know, such as not only are you trying to you know, simply shoot the gun and hit the target, but you, of course, want to be as still as, still as possible when you're doing it. Um, so there's a good bit of balance there. But then they are also taught to shoot between breaths and between heartbeats, if possible, giving you, again, more clues there so that both the, the slower you can make the heart rate and the slower you can make the respiratory rate, then the more still time they have to plan their shot. And they also have a lot of back issues, rifle, uh, at least collegiate rifle does. Well, actually, I mean, just that type of shooting in general, um, in part because... They're taught to stand in an, in an anatomical fashion. So when they're standing, they're trying to stack their skeleton, meaning that they're trying to uh, take away as much muscular activity as possible from standing. They don't want to go through fatigue. They don't want to start shaking because they're, they're tired. So the way they stand is a very, like, cockneyed, leaning over, almost a lazy stance. So their skeleton is literally holding them in position while they're doing it. Um, again, letting them stay in that position even longer. But, again, the purpose of that is that energy efficiency in that still position. It is not the greatest position actually on parts of like your low back, hips, the parts that are kind of having to be put in funky positions to make that happen. And then secondarily, the way they shoot, same reason, they bring their arms, their elbows, almost vertically on top of each other. And that it creates having to roll their shoulders forward way more than we might think if we're like shooting either for hunting or just on the shooting range or anything like that to the point where they actually have shooting vests which they, you know i remember the first time i saw that i'm like that's weird i wonder why they have vests you know they're shooting at targets they're you know they're not getting shot that's a sport that hasn't come around yet <laughs> right oh <laughs> uh, maybe later but but apparently these vests are actually almost like bench shirts like they actually pull your shoulders forward into a rounded position more so than normal and hold them there to again, let, let you keep your arms closer together in that shooting position. But again, same thing, that's, that's the purpose of that vest. But what it does is it creates a huge amount of upper back issues because they're constantly. Okay, continue. 
So, I mean, long story short, that was in essence what it came down to, strength and conditioning. So it wasn't like strength and conditioning in the traditional sense of let's get more explosive or let's build our endurance for the sake of endurance. Instead, it was how can I help you guys hold hold positions but for a really long time without moving? And how can I get your heart rate down and your breathing rate down as long as possible? So that part is common to people. People are like, okay, I'm used to that, you know. So we did interval training. We did a lot of things to get their heart rate down, as well as steady state cardio, things of that nature. Um, on the other hand, though, we got to use a lot of isometrics, but it was um, both traditional isometrics and then also pause style isometrics and otherwise moving reps. But not once did I ever give them a weight to do because that part was not important. They did whatever they wanted to. So some of the athletes who were you know, kind of into it a little bit, they would push themselves a little bit more with the weight. But otherwise, I told them how I wanted to do the rep or the, the exercises. Mm-hmm. So I had them do a lot of pause exercises, pause military press, pause bench press. So it was still free weight training. Again, they still shoot as one big unit. They have to be able to coordinate their entire body in one lack of motion. <laughs> um, so that was how they trained. So barbell squats, barbell RDLs, military presses, bench presses, barbell rows. What was different was they would start building a base, they'd eventually start throwing in some pauses, then they would make those pauses longer, then they would add in extra pauses, and towards the end, leading into national championships, um, which they won two of while I was there, then it would get to the point where they were doing sets of three on barbell squat, but every rep would involve a 10 to 30 second pause at the halfway point, then a 10 to 30 second pause at the bottom, and a 10 to 30 second pause at the halfway point back up. So one rep would be anywhere from 30 seconds to over a minute long. So three reps was a really long three reps. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, So basically, um, I mean, you were using basic principles. I mean, it sounds like it was right, the barbell exactly. and squats and overhead press and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it wasn't any of this, anything really crazy um, other other than the way you manipulated those things. Right. And, and that, I mean, that is what any coach who actually understands how the body is going to adapt to training will, will base their training on. It's not, oh, well, I did, I played football, so this is what I did when I played football, so this is what, this is how we're going to do it. It's like you don't have to know jack shit about your actual sport <laughs> right. to like I mean a sport to train somebody for that sport at first like or at least well you do need to learn what the sport is going to have the athlete do because that's what's important you need to get them to be able to, to move stronger or more explosively or longer like you need to find out what that goal is and what the movements are going to be like. Once you have those things, you should be able to, as a strength coach, train anybody for anything. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of that's uh, been lost in the in the information world. <laughs> exactly. You get so much of that. And, I mean, just one more <clears throat> random example. I mean, I one of the ways I first met my girlfriend was because she wanted – she was a bikini competitor – and wanted to completely – just she was burnt out on, on the training that her previous coach had her do, which is the typical thing you'd, you'd see in any bodybuilding.com article or muscle fitness hers. You know, fasted cardio, 45 minutes to an hour every day, cardio twice a day, high reps, blah, 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 blah. Holy shit, this is boring. Like, <laughs> that's what – she was burnt out on it. So, yeah. and, then she, um, and then she found us actually through a mutual friend – former athlete of mine and again had i ever trained a bikini competitor not that i'm aware not not that i'm aware of (laughs) it's like unless you've led a secret life (laughs) (laughs) right i mean you're the closest thing probably (laughs) right (laughs) oh but that's part of what helped because i said i don't have this like feeling of like oh we're training for a physique competition so we have to do what everybody over at the rec center or everybody over at Pro Performance or another gym or everybody at, again, online is going to be like, this is how you train for bodybuilding. Instead, it was like, well, this is what I need to do to your fat stores above, like in between your skin and your muscles. And this is what I need to do to try to make your muscles look denser or and or bigger 
etc. You know, those are the things that did it. It's like, and this is the type of nutrition and workout plan I need to get your body at the at its best fat burning state to do this. And she ended up finishing. Um, I actually can't remember. <laughs> she might either second or third. Yeah, and, I, I remember it was a podium. Yeah, finish. It, was, it was second or third. <laughs> I just can't remember which out of over 30 competitors. And it yeah. was both her best finish and the biggest show that she had done. Like, as I said, dude, like, and that was with zero training. Like, she did not touch cardio, for example. Right. Like, I mean, it was like that. And again, like, she wasn't doing just circuits of 15 or whatever. She was training to accomplish those other things. So it's totally different training than a power lifter or a wrestler or a boxer or jujitsu person. Um, but same principles apply. Breaking down, understanding the muscle fibers, maybe muscle cells, maybe fat cells, that those goals are also along the way, and manipulating from there. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> like you said, it, it was uh, totally different. And I think um, in our eyes, because we train people and, and we understand things, that it, it is totally different. But if you step back, there are a lot of similarities because, you know, the barbell was probably the main thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you were doing squats, maybe deadlifts, <clears throat> or variation of a deadlift, I'm sure. Bench press, overhead press, whatever. <clears throat> and those things are key in any sport. If you look at, um, you know, the winning football teams, that's what they're doing. If you look at the, right. the best wrestling place, that's what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> there are exceptions to the rule, of course, like uh, MMA, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overall, um, You know, I mean, even golfers now, I mean, you see yeah. they're, they're, they're squatting. They're, they're I don't know if you saw it. I don't, I don't know the guy's name because I don't know golfers. But a guy who just won, I don't know if it was the Open or whatever enormous tournament was just a couple weeks ago. The day, the, the day that he won, he benched 225 like 14 times. <laughs> like that day. Yes. Like, that was, you know, again, it's like, yeah, but and the reason I saw it because you have so many athletes or people who, let alone not understanding the training, but will you know do the things like, oh, you 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 should never lift on a day that you have practice or training or a game. Never lift on game day. Never lift on other days. Yeah. Sometimes you have rules which prevent you from doing that. Yeah. Like in college, we couldn't do anything with a team on the same day as a competition because they don't want it possibly used as punishment. Like if somebody had a bad game or something like that, or a coach yeah. is just angry. It's like, okay, that makes sense. But again, it's like, is there some magical physiological rule? Like you will just fail and lose everything if you work out <laughs> on the same day that you train or compete? I think there is. It's usually just going to make you better. Right. <laughs> You're well, going to win. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but yeah, I mean, it's absolutely about like even sports like golfing, picking, picking up on that. Yeah, and I think golf is um... – maybe at the lower end for even a sport where that's a necessity. I think all sports people should uh, be trying to get stronger, but I also think there's like a, there's a certain level in most sports, like this sport people should try to be this strong and this sport people should try to be this strong. Um, right. I know when I talk to certain people, I train <clears throat> some martial artists and stuff, and when I talk to them and I say that like strength matters, they always immediately in their mind they jump to the farthest extreme of of strength there is and they they think like i don't want to be uh you know like half thor bjornson or eddie hall or something like that you know and it's like well you're never number one you're not going to like you're not going to ever be that um and number two i'm not saying you need to be that right but like yeah. they can't get it out of their mind that i'm not trying to convince them that they need to like deadlift 900 pounds. right absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah like when it comes to that martial artists combat athletes in general so like throw boxers in there um wrestlers are probably the only one that are, that are not in that they pulled themselves out of that decades ago but martial artists for sure as well as some other sports um like baseball is a huge one um that's the first one that comes to mind like pretty much your your sports that are that are definitely highly skill concentrated. Like yes, it does take more quote unquote skill, aka tech like technical proficiency to play baseball or do well in a jujitsu tournament than it does to say play football. It does like they're both highly skill oriented. 
But if you're going to be really, really picky and not let emotions get in the way, baseball is like is more technically is technically harder because you're hitting such a small object in a finite way, right? Like that, like at a high speed. <clears throat> well, the Again, sp- I think the speed is cares. the biggest factor there. But right. Yeah. But so so hand-eye coordination is just harder right. than bigger physical motions like run and hit this person when right. you catch them, like. Nobody cares though because that's way too far out in the realm of like at that point you're talking ivory tower bullshit. Right. Like those are specifics that don't matter <laughs> because what matters is just being good is just being good at the, the sport that you want to play or the activity. Same thing with like jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, MMA, whatever it is. But like I said those sports that do feel like they had those higher technical values and, and practice technique more. That's definitely where you see those mentalities of anti-strength training taking hold the longest. And here's the general truth that I've come across with all the – like someday I'm going to sit there and count how many sports or activities I've actually trained people for. Because, I mean, we're talking like sports people have never heard of. <laughs> right. You know, um, it's got to be like in the three, four dozen by now yeah. uh, at least, like just different sports and activities. <clears throat> um, people have this – I like – you could sum it up with that urban myth that, you know, um, you can be too strong for your sport. Like, you know, you, people say that, like, oh, you don't want to be too strong for this. You don't, I don't want to get too strong. It, like I say, it goes hand in hand with being too bulky. Okay. Right. You can actually be too bulky. It's just people don't realize how hard it is. So you're pretty much never going to be too bulky. Right. Unless you're, you're in a weight class and then you're not too bulky, you're just fat. Um, hey, or you're, or you're, in the, <laughs> or you're, you're, you're just in the wrong weight class. It's right. like, hey, like, right? Um, but no, I mean, but yeah, there's this idea that you can be too strong for sports because, and that feeds that strength is not important. The problem is that you can spend too much time on getting stronger. Right. That's the issue. That's yeah. That's yeah. a big issue. There isn't a single like, if I have two, if I have two marathon runners, and they pretty much have the same aerobic, like, you know, they had the same endurance. They have fairly similar experience running. Like, they have pretty similar aerobic capacity. And one of them can squat 100 pounds. And the other one can squat 405, <laughs> let's say. I'm going to pick the one who can squat 405 because I have a feeling that the physical toll of thousands of excuse me, thousands of steps on the ground or just how far they're going to push their body every time their foot hits the ground with the 405-pound squat instead of a 100-pound squat is going to be better. Yeah. I I have a good example of this that I use um, when I I do a seminar, uh, Strength Matters, and uh, one of my examples is kettlebells because there's, like, this huge push for, like, kettlebells. Like, all you you need is a 40-pound kettlebell and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And – I always say if you if you had two people in a room, one on each platform, and you set a timer, the, the the time the amount of time is irrelevant. But let's say twenty minutes. So they have twenty minutes to do something on the platform, <clears throat> and one guy spends most of his time loading the bar, loading a barbell, maybe lifts one thirty five, then like two twenty five, sits in a chair for a while, <laughs> meanders about, loads the bar up, right. The other guy, right from the get-go, starts swinging or cleaning or pressing a kettlebell and doesn't stop moving for 20 minutes, right? But it's a 40-pound bell. Or let's say even a 50-pound bell. Or a 60-pound bell. I mean, <laughs> I mean there, there might be, you know, we can go, uh, that number's arbitrary too, but I think you could probably go clear up to 70 pounds, right? And he does that for 20 straight minutes and gets, I don't know how many reps you could get there, let's say 200 reps. And then the other guy at the very end, clean and jerks, 405. Who do you want on your team? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a no-brainer. Like, who would you want on your team? And would it matter what sport it was? (laughs) In most instances, I would say 99.9% of the time, you're going to take the 405 clean and jerk. Let's think it should be 100% of the time. (laughs) And again, that's that's the issue where these people come in. Like... So they think strength training isn't going to help you because they think that's what they're thinking of. And it's like, no, like, the stronger you can get with everything else considered, the better athlete you will always be if all other things are considered. 
Right. So I said, like, you can, like, and that's where having an expert who has actually done it, not just gone through a certification, not just gotten a degree, not just knows people who work out at a gym, right. but having an actual <laughs> expert who understands how to do things in the best, in the optimal mix to lead you to your best performance is going to be. Because right. they're going to know or at least have a better idea in how to mix your strength training with your endurance, with the with how much of it you do, with your tech, with you know your tech, your technical practices, whatever, to make you the better overall performer in your sport. They're going to know how to do that. The, the problem that you get is when somebody, like okay, let, let's take the UFC as an example. Like, your even your even your like worst UFC fighters right now are arguably better athletes than your best fighters were 10 years ago. Definitely yeah. 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you and, sure. I, you and I grew up on that. Right. You know, like, this, at that point in time, if you were in shape, it's usually because you're either a wrestler or because that person happened to take it seriously, being mm-hmm. in shape. Um, but it was so unknown. It was something like that where, like, your difference in technique there made the difference. Right. That was the difference. Um and which is a blessing because it showed you how important. Like, yeah, you need to be better. It also is a curse because everybody's like, "Oh, well, Hoist Gracie didn't. You know, he was the smallest guy there. He didn't need to do anything. So that's all I ever need." Hoist Gracie also fought against guys who were complete amateurs in anything else that they do. Like, yeah. you can walk in the mall right now, and you will probably have at least like ten people in a mall who at least know more jujitsu than anybody Hoist Gracie ever had to face in the octagon. That's in, true. In the UFC's one, two, three, or four. <laughs> you know, like, were they experts at something else? Yes. But, you know, once he got them where he needed them, it was over because they didn't know how to do anything. Yeah. Now you have, and you know, with the evolution of any sport, now you get there and you have guys who are, like, not only trained in just about everything to a decent degree, they're also, like, "Quote unquote athletes, like they actually do train in something. They're they're more explosive now. But the biggest thing is now, nobody goes in now and ever has the advantage of having an actual superior technique mm-hmm. because everybody knows has been, at least been exposed to to it. Like right. you might still be the best at it, but you're the best at it by like single digit low level percentages." And that means, you know, one slip, one thing happens you didn't account for, and all of a sudden you're at a disadvantage again. Like, you're the one losing right now. Because the other person is probably the best at something slightly different than you. Right. And Or, again, and, you know, they hit harder or whatever it is. They can go 30 seconds longer than you, something like that. So the technique, so you need the technique, but, again, like, that's the necessity. Right. People, and, but people think about that, like, if you can take that person and properly apply strength and conditioning to them, that will only make them better in the struggle. And the stronger they get, the faster they get without it just being like something that sucks their recovery out of them mm-hmm. is going to kill them. I think um, one big thing there, you kind of you talked about it, was uh, <clears throat> I think jiu-jitsu is, is one of the best, if not the best, martial art for mitigating the someone else's skill in a different martial art. Um, so you can be good, and it's obviously this depends on the way you train it. If, if you're strictly training for jiu-jitsu tournaments, that may not be the case. But if, if you're at least somewhat aware in your training, like, hey, someone might punch me, and how to deal with that, I think jiu-jitsu is very good at like, hey, I can grab a boxer. I can survive long enough to grab them and mitigate that and get rid of it, or kickboxer, or a tie fighter, or whatever. They're pretty good at that. Um, but now, and, well, and that was shown in the UFC one, two, three, whatever, because Hoist Gracie would run through those guys, and the 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 majority of the martial artists were stand up guys, and they mitigated that. But now, even if you've ever taken like six months worth of worth of jujitsu, now you can use that knowledge, even though you might not be as good as Hoist Gracie. You understand the game enough to alter the way that you're using your forte your sport, your skill, to fight back against that person. And I think that makes a big difference now because every single person in there has taken at least six months to a year. You know, they're all blue belts at least in jiu-jitsu. 
and um, and you're seeing that it's like that reverse engineering kind of thing. Like, hey, we understand what they're trying to do, and now we can use our punches, kicks, and knees and elbows to prevent them from stopping us. Right. Yep. And like I said, what we see again, like to bring it back full circle, is like with, with the example, continuing the example of MMA. Your most dominant athletes lately have been the ones who were highly skilled, but then had the right strength and conditioning to be explosive mm-hmm. and be explosive for the whole time. And again, you don't become explosive. <clears throat> like, there's no such thing as a weak explosion. You know, it, 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 it's in the definition, explosion, you know? You're like, I don't even know what a weak explosion would be, like a, a puff. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. So to be explosive, you need to be strong. Right. And like, or, you know, have some strength. And then you need to be able to use it fast and quickly. And right. Like, and like, which, hence, explosive. Right. And to do that, you need to have, a said, like actual strength training and or explosive training. Well, I think what's funny is most martial artists understand the, the need for explosiveness or power. I just don't think they understand what that is. No. Yeah. And, uh, you know, power is the combination of speed and strength. Yeah. You Neither one of those things certain... have to do with running long distances, by the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. right now. Yes. Um, but, yeah, you need that combination of speed and strength because without the strength, you just have speed. And, you know, there's the saying that speed kills or whatever. But that, I think that's also under the assumption that there's a certain amount of strength with it. Because you can certainly be really fast and that not do anything for you because yeah. you just can't deal any damage. Exactly. Like, look at, I think another, like, to just take one host, like, I don't know names very well, but look at lightweight boxers. They're mm-hmm. probably the best example of this. Like, there are very few, or, or lightweight wrestlers, you know, either one. There are very few lightweight boxers who hit you particularly hard. Like, but the ones who do, you know who they are. <laughs> right. You know, and, but they move super fast, like all of them. But I know that I've watched boxing matches, and people are like ooing and aahing and how fast one guy is. And I, and I like, and I box, like I've been in, and I'm just like, this guy can throw easily five times the punches I can. Like, and I don't care about any of them. <laughs> like, like this guy, like, like it's just there's no force behind this, and it's yeah. like okay, like <clears throat> it's just not there. So like I said, like yeah, like you need like all the way on one side of the spectrum is speed, but like you said, speed without force it has no power to it. There's right. no explosive. There's there. nothing. Behind. Just like all the way on the other side, there's force, but force without speed is just force. And like you said, that's where like you said, so many of these like traditional anti strength conditioning minded um, trainers or people are is that they think all the way on that side of the force right. spectrum and like you said like the amount of time in the in the force to do with deadlift 900 pounds is like you're gonna have to sacrifice so many things to reach that level if it's even possible for you but you don't combat that by deciding that the other end of the spectrum is where you need to be and do zero force maximum speed right I think you touched on it earlier too. I think to get to that level where you're just having force and no speed, there's very few situations where that's going to occur. Either A, you already started there, like you're, yeah. you're coming from some sport where that was ideal and now you're going into martial arts, so that's your downfall. You might be able to produce a lot of force, but you can't do it quickly. And there will be pros and cons to that, but that's one of the cons is that, that you can't produce force quickly. Right. The other one, but most people aren't in that situation. The people that I'm talking to are not in that situation. They're on the other end. They can barely do a real push-up. And then they're saying, well, I don't want to get too strong. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you should get strong before you worry about being too strong. And to get too strong, to get to that level, that Eddie Hall level or, or below even, um, like you're not going to be able to do your, your jiu-jitsu or your MMA or your boxing effectively in order to get to like an 800 pound deadlift because that's the 800 pound deadlift is going to take up so much of your time so much of your week hell even when you deadlift 800 pounds you're probably not going to go do jiu-jitsu the next day right right. (laughs) you're probably not going to and if you do go to boxing the next day it's going to be it's going to be miserable (laughs) because the toll it takes on the body to deadlift 800 pounds and how many days a week do you have to work out to get to an 800 and those are the guys who give who give strength training a bad name 
in sp- like in the sport, like in sports in general, but in sport, is every sport. I said like MMA is definitely a big one, but you know, realistically, every sport has its athletes who made it at every level. Like you know, these athletes exist in middle school and high school. These athletes, these athletes exist at your pros and the UFC. But it's the guys who they were good enough to get there. Whether, like, you know, from whatever combination. But at that point, to them, the lifting, the strength training is probably more important than it should be. And they, again, like, they suffer from the putting too much time into it. And they just keep trying to lift and get stronger, like, past a certain level, rather than doing what is holding them back. Right. And... They make – and they're the ones who are like, man, like, you look at this guy's a specimen. But, then, you know, they go like 500 or they're above or they're always gassing because they're always doing – because they're always trained. Like, they're never training, like, the ability to actually last through a fight. Mm-hmm. But I said their, their mistakes are not even close to being able to actually um, be applicable to everybody else. Because that's this very small yet very visible population's mistake is that they're going too far on that end of the spectrum without realizing that the vast majority of people in the sport would still benefit from actually doing at least some of that to, to amp their game up higher than that, like higher than that. Um, See, so uh, and so, I, I, yeah, so it's those people that really hurt the image because, again, that goes into people thinking, I don't want to get too strong. Look at that guy. Right. That guy's not too strong. He just doesn't do enough of the right thing. <laughs> right. And that guy probably doesn't have a coach. These are people that are doing it on their own, and then they get in there and they like it. And now what's really happened is they're not training for martial arts. They're not using their strength training for martial arts. What happened is they developed a hobby. Now they like lifting weights, and now yeah. they're doing it too. Often. So they have two hobbies or two sports. When the reality is, you need to the training is just to accentuate your sport. The, yeah, the strength training exactly. is, and and that's very easy to do with weight training, and especially if you're doing it on your own. That's why I think it's very important. Um, you know, you can ask all of the martial artists I've trained that uh, I only advocate that they lift weights two to three times a week tops with my method. If, there's probably other methods out there where you could do more than that, but um, two to three days tops. Uh, and usually it's two, but like you said, you find that when they start doing it, they really want that third day and then they'll start, can I get a fourth, you know, and you got to really hold them back. Um, and the, and the smaller they are helps too, because smaller people recover faster. So um, like Devin, who's been on the podcast, uh, he, he can train three days a week. It's not a problem. He weighs about 170 pounds. But if I had, like, a guy my size and was also doing martial arts, it would be very difficult for that person to lift heavy more than two days a week if they were doing martial arts, like, four or five days a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, difficult. or even going to for a side, like, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, because this is around the time we, we – we, toward the end of this era is when you and I met, and – like I was a competitive MMA fighter. That was what got me into the science of training because I got interested in it. And I was, I don't remember the, the details right now, but I was strength training probably four times a week on average. Four is probably my average. I occasionally toyed to five, I occasionally cut it back and did three. I was training four, I was also practicing every day. I also spent literally years <laughs> getting myself like, because I'm obsessive. <laughs> right. It is like I pretty much always have been, um, but even more so at that point in time. Like, and um, and when I when I was trained when I was training to compete, like roughly seven years, that was my one, number one priority. Like I went to school, but it wasn't a priority. And then I went to college, not a priority. Like none of these things, like they were not the number one priority. Like I took care of them enough. But I was training 35, 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I was full-time job training as a student. But I also was full-time, I was also full-time my meal planning. Right. I was, I was like calorie everything to the exact one. I would stop whatever I was doing. I didn't care what it was when it was like when the time came to go and get eight hours of sleep. 
Like, you know, I get eight hours and a half week now, and it's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, so, but, but at that point, it was like over a gallon of water. Everything was measured. Right. Like, I, I measured my recovery. I measured my calories. I planned them out. I like, nutrient timing. Like, I maximized everything so that I could handle that training load. Right, and there were periods of deloading and all that to make sure that I would recover and actually adapt. Like all of these things were planned into it, full scale. Like, right. like I said, like we're talking about, I was at that point, you know, the expert to myself in terms of what I could handle or not training wise to get my end result. Right. <clears throat> well, and that's that goes back to I think you you need a trainer in these situations, and you were going to school for that stuff and had a passion for that and was learning to be the trainer with yourself. Most of these people that are training themselves don't have that, they're not that ambitious with it. It's like, hey, I'm gonna go bench press on Mondays and leg press on Fridays and uh, I'll try to add 10 pounds every week and when that bombs out, I'll go read muscle and fitness and figure out what superset I should try. (laughs) And um, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. And uh, I think that's one of the big pitfalls. And then another thing is the culture of martial arts. You know, it's like anything else. If, if you have a job and you're doing martial arts, you're probably not doing much outside of those two things. So now the, the people you work with and the people you go to do martial arts with, whether it's boxing or whatever, those are the people you're around. You're not around people like, like actual athletes. You're not around... Um, people that know how to strength train properly. The people that strength train and that you know that are around you are like some guy that can bench 315, which isn't bad, but it, you know, 315, there's, there's a ton of people here at Viking that can bench 315. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, for me to be like, well, I'm going to do what the guy that's benching 315 does, that would, I'd be really doing an injustice to myself. I mean, there's been that guy just hit 500 not too long ago down there, like in training just for no reason. It was like, I'm going to bench 500 today. Um, you know, I'd be more interested in what he was doing. But that's not the mentality they have, and that's not the crowd they're around. They see a guy that can bench 315 and squat 225, but the guy also can't wipe his ass or touch his toes. And they're like, well, this is what happens when you train. Well, no, this is what happens when you train yourself in your basement for 20 years with no real goals or rhyme or reason to what you're doing yeah. that's what happens um, or you know out of every martial arts gym I've been to there's been some guy that claimed to be a former power lifter and is can't move and his shoulders are all busted up and who knows if he actually power lifted you know they can never name what fed they were in or what their records <laughs> were or whatever and uh, they use that well that guy he's really strong and he he can't do anything well yeah but who trained him like, what system was he using? Did he even have a system, or did he just go and max out every day? Like, you know, but that's the people they're around, and that's what they base their uh, their knowledge off of. And it's, it's really sad because and you actually see it in the weightlifting community too, especially with Instagram now. All these people that are uh, strong men and strong women, they look at these people on Instagram that are like middle-of-the-pack people, and they're all like, I want to try and do what they're doing. Like, I've never thought that way, you know. I'm, I'm a big, uh, I grew up on Bruce Lee and stuff, you know, and he would look at the best people. That's what I do. It's like, I want to know what Half Thor's doing. I want to know what Zavikas is doing. I want to know what Martins Lysis is doing. I don't care about some guy that deadlifted 500 pounds, <laughs> you know. And I think martial artists miss the boat there. It's like, who's the best martial artist and what are they doing? Because I can guarantee you they're probably lifting weights. Right. Um, in fact, I recently went online and looked up, um, I guess there's a couple different jiu-jitsu feds, but um, IB, IBBJF, I think it is. Yeah, I can never remember if it's, it's uh, BJJ or BBJ. I can never remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember. But anyway, it's a big one, and they have like a yeah. world jiu-jitsu thing, and it's one of the more popular ones. And I looked from 2006 until whatever the last one listed was. I don't think it, it might have been 2017. Um and I looked at the winners of the absolute division. And uh, if you don't know, the absolute division is um, no weight classes. So at the end of a jiu-jitsu tournament, they'll have like a no weight class tournament, and these people will go at it. Well, I noticed that every person that's won since 2006 until now weighed at least 200 pounds. Now, 
in strongman that would not be that would be very small but in jiu-jitsu you don't get a lot of people over 250 pounds 200 pounds is towards the top of the uh the pack and just to get an example of that i think um, 205 in the ufc is um, light heavyweight so it goes light heavyweight heavyweight and then is there a super heavyweight in ufc i think it's just light heavyweight heavyweight um, right because they don't have anybody over 265 anymore do they uh, no, I don't think not, in the, not in the UFC, but in, in some of the other ones, yeah. I think they do. I haven't but, paid attention in a while. But that's light heavyweight. So that's towards the upper end of the spectrum for body weight. Right. So when people say size and strength doesn't matter, it's like, well, from 2006 to now, I think, I think differently. <laughs> because the biggest people in the sport are winning. And also, um, I think that jujitsu is not. Uh, the reason that bigger people aren't winning, um, I would say there's a couple different reasons for that. Number one, there's this idea that they shouldn't be lifting weights. So the big people are big and weak. And then secondly, um, it's also not a sport that draws a lot of big people. Like when you go to a jiu-jitsu gym, how many people in there weigh over 200 pounds? Yeah, if they do, they're usually there for like weight loss, general fitness, which is cool because that's great for them. Right. But, but, yeah, like, but they're not there to compete, and they probably don't compete, and they probably show up the least of anybody else, because this has been my experience. Um, I've trained, at, and you, you know, I've trained at, at one point nearly every serious MMA-type gym in West Virginia. Um, I trained at least probably 10 or so gyms. And I'm not saying dropped in. I trained there for a little while. Um, and there was never anybody my size at any of these gyms, uh, except for um, Team Outlaw had a guy named Big Steve, and he was gigantic. But he wasn't even competitive at the time. He just happened to be um, an owner of the gym, a great guy, and, and he was really good. Um, but most of the other gyms you would go to, there would be a big guy here and there. They'd be pretty flighty. They'd come in and they'd leave. Um, it's very similar to running. You don't see people signing up for 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons that weigh 250 pounds or more. Certain sports attract certain body types and sizes. And I think that's one of the big reasons you don't see like 300 pounders just crushing people at jiu-jitsu tournaments. But uh, in any case, the 200 pound people, the light heavyweight people are the ones that are winning. I think it, you can look at a sport and it's, you know, it's usually pretty obvious what it takes to win. And, uh, but these people will, they'll come up with all kinds of excuses as to why that doesn't, why it doesn't matter and why those people are winning. But to me, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to Hoist Gracie, um, we talked about his skill and stuff and he, he mitigated their skill because jujitsu is good at that. But also, I don't think anybody in their, in anybody, especially anybody that truly followed Hoist Gracie would say Hoist Gracie was weak. No, yeah. I mean, and they claimed to not lift weights and stuff like that, but, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was an old jiu-jitsu DVD that he had where he was doing, like, those crazy L pull-ups and, like, doing the typewriter (laughs) pull-ups. And he may have been doing one-arm pull-ups. I mean, mean, anybody that can do one-arm pull-ups, especially the repetitions he was doing, you can't can't call that person uh, weak necessarily. Now... I think he'd have been a lot stronger and a lot better if he was lifting weights, but the guy certainly wasn't weak. Right. You know, and, and he was certainly stronger than the people that weren't doing pull-ups. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I think that gave him quite the edge. And that's also been my experience with traveling around and training with other martial artists. It's always people that were naturally strong um, that are always like, well, strength doesn't matter. You know, you can go to these seminars and talk to these people and you can shake hands with them and you're like, damn, man, I can't even move this guy's arm and he's telling me strength doesn't matter. <laughs> or, yeah, that's, yeah, that's so spot on. Or, or you can just look at their proportions. You know, um, the, the size of someone's wrist is a big indicator of their bone structure and, and we know that bone structure is in a lot of cases an indication of how strong somebody is or at least their potential for strength. And you'll go to these seminars with these people that are the best in the world, and they'll have a hand that looks like a pack of bananas hanging off of a tree <laughs> branch <laughs> and a wrist that's eight inches in diameter, and they're saying, well, yeah, strength doesn't really matter that much. Um, 
And you can take those same people, and I've, I've had this happen before where I would meet people and I would talk them into lifting or whatever. And their first time lifting, they would lift some, like, you know, pr fairly incredible weight for somebody that, you know, claimed that strength didn't matter. Uh, I remember I trained um, a uh, uh, woman that was in jiu-jitsu, and, um, uh, and she actually later admitted that strength did matter, but at first she was skeptical. She's one of the best ever, one of the best jiu-jitsu players I've ever met, and uh, the first time she bench-pressed, she was benching 135. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, even that's that's good for even strength athletes. I mean, there's not a lot of women that can throw 135 on the bar first time ever lifting right. a weight and, and hit it with a solid, like, I mean, this would have counted in competition right. bench press with no gear. We're not, I mean, this is like as raw as raw gets, you know, no belt, T-shirt, shorts on some shit gym a, or some shit bench on a marsh, at a martial arts gym <laughs> on a bar that who knows what brand it even was. Hits 135. But that same person was skeptical as to whether strength mattered. And it's like, well, yeah, because you've been stronger than every other person. So it never mattered to you. Um, but most people, the majority of people don't have that luxury, you know. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Are there any, uh, so you competed, are there any instances that you can think of, like in one of your matches or one of your competitions where you definitely was like, hey, strength saved my ass or strength got me the win or like, like a really good prime example of that? Probably at least half <laughs> of the times, <laughs> and that and that that's a lot. Um, and the biggest one by far, I, I'll give you. I mean, I'll give you an example from both sides of it. Like um, the best one where it helped me out was that shoot. Even here, I can't think of just one. I think of a couple, but um, one was I had a. I had a pro fight out in Jersey against, ironically, one of Henzo Grayson's guys, I believe, one guy from his fight. Um, I mean, I don't think this association even exists anymore. It was uh, called Reality Fighting. And um, and went in and had just done a takedown. and But the guy had uh, achieved a pretty decent half guard. And then in the midst of and and then i mean not that long afterwards had me in in a form like it was getting to be a triangle choke like it was like that was coming soon but um video game mentality that i have because <laughs> that's basically like all i did growing up before then i literally would go through these things and imagine like my energy bar and be like okay i have x number of special moves before my energy bar runs out <laughs> okay. um, so I was like, I threw the couple of shots that I, that I figured I could from that position until it started to tighten up. And again, then it hit that special move part. So went to plan B when I'm being triangle choked. And again, knowing that you can do this is nice. And I just power bombed them from the down. <laughs> so I mean, so I jumped up on my feet really fast, picked him up like over my head and slammed him down until he let go. Which coincidentally was only once. <laughs> um, yeah, that usually only takes one time. <laughs> and then from there, I got the mounted position. And again, it's like, was it a? Mo and it gets funny because people will get pissed off at that. You're like, oh, you know, you just out muscled yourself out. Like, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And I did it because I, and I did it specifically because I, in essence, wanted in every situation to be able to do that if it came down to it. <laughs> it's right. like, it's like, yeah, it's again, you get to the point where, I mean, I think at that point in time, I was, yeah, like just use the example you've been doing. I mean, I was deadlifting somewhere like the mid fours around mm -hmm. that point in time, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, so another 185 pound guy, I don't care, like, not that big of a deal. Right. If I, if I have even any leverage whatsoever. Yeah. You know, um, and I think. I think that's one of the mentalities where a lot of these martial artists miss out too. Cause I hear that example where they say like, well, I fight at 185, so I only need to learn to lift 185. So they want to do all this body weight stuff. Yeah. It's way nicer when 185 literally feels like nothing. Like yeah. you can pick somebody up and throw them. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you can like do 200 body weight squats in a row when you weigh 185 pounds, that pretty much doesn't do much for you. Um, as far as strength goes. And, um, 
you're not going to do 200 bodyweight squats and be able to manipulate another 185 pound human being the way that that sounds like it's going to carry over. Right. It's just not going to happen. Um, but deadlifting 400 pounds, which is well over double that, is going to have a tremendous carryover on how uh, easy or difficult it is going to be to move your opponent. Right. And I mean, I, you, you proved it by powerbombing. Yeah. And like <laughs> another example is, I mean, so I was competitive right before the explosion of MMA. Like, I mean, I, I actually literally pinpoint that because my last fight was roughly four to six months before the first season of The Ultimate Fighter aired, which is what blew it up. Um, and one of my close to last matches uh, or several matches was at the Arnold and it was the first year that the Arnold ever had mixed martial arts in their competitions. Like it was the first time ever. And, and I ended up winning that in my weight class. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I'm, I, I, it's probably not in any record book ever because they don't record <laughs> that. But I was basically the first, um, like, um, going through and I was the first, like, middleweight whatever I was, like Arnold class uh, for their MMA tournaments. And, but again, I went through and had like um, got to the finals match and went there. And it was one of those where, like, I don't know what it's like now, but there was like no actual borders. It was just like an open mat with outlines. So it didn't have like a cage or anything. And they did have a little bit more protective gear than a, than a typical actual MMA match. Again, first time playing around with it. And at the Arnold, you know, I'm sure they wanted to limit liability. But, you know, I just went through, and this guy was, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what he was, but, I mean, he had that whole, like, uh, actual, I mean, he looked fairly athletic and was, like, like long, longer, I hate, like, quote-unquote leaner, I hate those terms, but that, um, I kind of think of it, I was actually lean then, that was just so long ago, I forgot, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, we're going through that, and, I mean, we're going through, like, we do some stand-up and whatnot, and. Again, realize I'm not like too worried about it. I'm not gonna lie, the start of the fight was sloppy from what I remember. And we're going through it, and what actually ended up essentially making these work was when I realized, like, and again, this is a, a technique with wrestling, but then, like, I never wrestled. I never really wrestled, but I learned a lot of wrestling. And, and it worked well with my style and the athletic, explosive style of it. it. Was like when I learned, like, oh, I can shoot on this guy and pick him up. And there were, um, if I remember right, five slams in that two-round fight. And again, I mean like slams, not takedowns. But five times that I shot down, picked him up from the waist down, lifted him up standing to at least my shoulder level, and slammed him down. Um, and that, I, and I, I loved doing that for several reasons. One of them being that, it's, well, it's fun. Two, <laughs> like jiu-jitsu gyms had this huge issue with not with being like, oh, you know, don't slam people. Yeah. It might hurt them. Yeah. Again, yeah. that's the point. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, again, if you're strong enough, you can just set them down, though. But then that's annoying because they're, like, getting you in stuff and you're, like, gently cradling them yeah, yeah. Um, down. But, again, I mean, that was the whole thing. Again, it's like because I went down and shot, and it wasn't just because I could get in position, but it was because I had the strength and the explosiveness and the endurance to be able to do it over and over and over again. Right. Like, and every shot, I just got him further up in the air. Yeah. And and at one point in time, there was like, um, I mean, you could the, the last time was like when you could tell they got the audible gasp, you know, <laughs> was like because it hit them. And again, I mean, he was done at that point. Just kind of rolled him over, punched him in the face like twelve times. He eventually rolled over again and choked him. Yeah. Again, because of the slam. You can only get slammed so many times. Uh, right. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> uh, I think that's another thing too. Like you said, a lot of jujitsu gyms, there's these, um, you know, there are these like weird, uh, and some of them are unspoken, some of them are, are loudly spoken rules. Um, you know, don't do leg locks, you know, until, yeah. or at least until if your opponent says it's cool or until you reach a certain, you know, you can't do leg locks, don't do wrist locks, don't do this, don't do that. One of them is, you know, you shouldn't slam. A lot of places you don't even do jiu-jitsu standing up anymore. It's like you start on your knees or you start one person on top of the other. I think that also contributes to this, like, idea that strength doesn't matter because you haven't been picked up by someone twice your size and, and slammed on your back yet. Right. Because, the, the, you know, when that starts to consistently happen – and you can't do anything about it because it's like a bear mauling a child. 
then, <laughs> then um, <laughs> you know, you'll start to have a, a more appreciation for strength at that point. And it's just like you said, these people tend to think, oh, well, he's going to slam me and then gas out because he has muscles, because Joe Rogan says that constantly. But if you know how you're training and you're strong enough and 185 pounds is not heavy to you and you've also trained properly, you will be able to rep 185 like for a whole round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know, shoot, slam, shoot, slam, shoot, slam. And it not have much effect on you uh, aerobically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and now there are certain people that aren't in shape that might try that and slam somebody once and then they're gassed out or whatever. But if you know how to train and you know what you're doing, then that's the goal. The goal is to be able to manhandle this person yeah. <laughs> for, for the entire round and then go sit in your corner and talk about how you're going to do it again <laughs> as soon as the bell rings, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I don't think they, they don't understand that most of the time for whatever reason. And, and a lot of it's just the tradition of, of martial arts and how it's come about. <clears throat> um, real briefly, because uh, I think um, you got to go and I, I got to end this up pretty soon, but I want to talk about injuries and strength training because I think that's oh, a yeah. big uh, that's a big thing for any sport. I think strength um, prevents injuries. The stronger you are, the less likely you are to be injured. Um, And, of course, there are certain instances, like if you fall off the roof of a house, you know, it doesn't matter how strong you are, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, you always have that. You always have the ability. Like, there's always the possibility that you're going to get hurt. Like, as a a coach, as a strength coach, I mean, one of my pet peeves is always when somebody tries to sell um, or ask for. So either, like, it, it, it can be on either side of it. Sells for or asks for complete prevention of injuries. Like, that would happen to me when I was at WVU, for example. Like, a coach would be talking to a, a recruit. And, again, you're, in essence, trying to sell them to come to your school. Right. And But whenever they would phrase it as if somehow my training was going to make sure that they were absolutely never, ever possibly hurt. It's like, that'd be great if I could do that. I'm not going to be at college if I'm doing that, like you said. Like, again, <laughs> it's just impossible. But right. we'll minimize it. I've had athletes. I've had one of my athletes get a concussion opening the fridge. Like, that is a WVU story. Like, I've had another one of my athletes hurt their back and miss an entire season because they learned too late that the sink at Bent Willie's was not the best place to have sex. (laughs) Like, and then they try to blame that on weightlifting. It's like, no. (laughs) So, so point being, injuries can happen whether you're hungry or what. Like, injuries... Like the possibility is, is is always there, yeah. But like you said, strength training and being in shape, and being better at the sport that you're doing, all of them go hand in hand right. with minimizing injury risk. Because yeah, stronger muscles can just take more abuse. Mm-hmm. They can they protect your joints more when any when when anything hits them or they go through a crazy motion. When there's no muscular strength there and a joint gets pushed the wrong way whether by through contact or a collision or just because you yourself, like, you didn't have a lot of strength, you took a step or didn't get your foot where you wanted it to and took a quick little thing, like, your strength around the joint is what's going to determine most of the time whether or not whether or not it gets hurt or if it's hurt if it's a bad injury versus a small one. Yeah, um, I think I think that's a big thing. And, and then coming back from injuries – uh, the stronger you are to begin with, I think, and and we see it all the time, just from where people come back from injuries. But uh, common sense would tell you the stronger you are before you get injured, um, the faster your comeback will be for most injuries. Because what's the point in most of the rehabilitation is to strengthen the area. Yeah. Well, if it's already pretty strong despite being injured, it's probably going to yeah. heal faster, and also. <laughs> Uh, if it's something you're using commonly, like a knee or an ankle or a hip, and you're walking around on it, well, if it's injured and you're walking around on it, you're likely, or at least have a higher probability of aggravating the injury. But if that area is strong, it at least has something to fall back onto and compensate with that will protect that injury. Exactly, yeah. But if you're weak and you're walking around on an injury, you have no compensation. In fact, you're just at higher risk. Exactly. And then if you are injured... A higher, a, a stronger muscle will always, like no exceptions, heal faster than a weak muscle. 
Like it just because it because it is able to handle more, mm-hmm. and so it can do more, and in essence, return itself closer to normal yeah. at a much faster rate. You look at um, I mean, it's crazy. You know, you look at medicine and how much things like surgery have evolved. Like um, perfect examples of ACLs. Like if you look at somebody, an athlete goes through an ACL injury, which it sucks. They again, they happen. Um, lots of things contribute. Most of them, a lot of them, involve being more explosive and or stronger. Um, but you look at them, and as soon as you're basically past the acute injury, like those first couple of days and all the swelling, mm-hmm. between then and your surgery date, like most people have to wait a few weeks before surgery. Yeah, you know they're not like pro athlete; they can have the surgery in like two days because they have a surgeon ready to go. Right. Um, but within that time, one of the t- like doctor's orders is always go strengthen this leg because they want that muscle. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to do much. They want it to go through the least amount of weakening right. possible in order before they have the surgery. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, they know that it, that it will get stronger, better. The surgery will go better. On the flip side, there are a lot of, ath- there are a lot of top performing athletes out there without functioning ACLs anymore. Right. They tore them and they never needed surgery specifically because their hamstrings and their quadriceps are strong enough. Yeah. Again, like basically their muscles are so strong they could they could keep the knees stable without an ACL just through muscular strength. Yeah, and the, that's in um do you see that a lot in football and there's a lot of contact in football. Yep. If, oh yeah. If you can imagine if any sport with less contact that would be less brutal on the knee, this would be even more beneficial. But uh it seems like a lot of those sports aren't interested for whatever reason. Exactly, exactly. One of our top linebackers at WU when I was there, he found out when he was a senior in college that he didn't have an ACL on one of his <laughs> that it was torn, and that he had torn it four years ago. Yeah. And they literally had just found out. <clears throat> yeah. It just could have started aching. <laughs> you know? Again, like, and again, this was a, he was a 785-pound squatter. I, yeah, I think – you know, these things come down to strength. Um, I, Stone Cold Steve Austin, when he broke his neck, his surgeon told him that uh, the only reason he wasn't paralyzed was because his neck was so strong. And you hear stories like that all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, they got this injury, and the doctor will tell you, you know, your strength probably saved your ass here. There has never been a situation when they were like, thank God you were so weak. <laughs> like, had you been a little bit stronger, <laughs> like, <laughs> this would have killed you had you been able to bench 225. <laughs> You know, th- those things don't happen, and it's it's never ideal. Like, you never go up in a sport against somebody, and you always hear the comments, oh, man, that guy's so strong, or that guy's so powerful. You never hear, like, man, that guy was really weak. It was hard to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you, know, you never it hear that. sounds more like that. an office situation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you, you know, you never – you never hear that stuff, but somehow there's still this fight like, oh, I don't want to be strong. And I think part of the reason, too, is that people have a hard time admitting that they're weak. Like, like you'll get these people that are just that are weak and they'll they'll be telling you the strength doesn't matter or whatever. And that they're strong enough or that jujitsu made them strong. And it's like, no, it didn't. And usually you can tell because those are the people that are always injured, too. The people that only play their sport and never lift otherwise, yep. they are always injured. And then they'll say, I don't want to lift weights because I'll get injured. It's like, you're already always injured. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what's the, you know, what's the fear here? I mean, you know, you, you had a hyperextended elbow last week and now your back's killing you this week. It'll be your ankle next week. Like, <laughs> why don't you just try it? You know? Um, and you see that with everything. Uh, the runners, runners are always hurt. Runners are always injured. And running, running is the number one way to get hurt in the sport. Even in the, the military, they did a study where, like, most injuries actually come from training in the military, like, even versus, like, war times. <laughs> More people are hurt in training than they are in the field. And the number one way they're hurt is because of all the running. So running, number one, it, I mean – is dangerous. <laughs> it's just it's just that yeah, people injury. forget that there's a right way and a wrong way to run, it, and it, they forget that because they actually never learned it. Right. <laughs> I just think you know, with that much force, that repetitively running can be can be you're, it's injury prone. Yeah, I'm not saying don't do it, and I'm not afraid of dangerous activity, but I'm saying in the scheme of things, you're pretty likely to get hurt running. Yeah, if you don't know how to do and, something right, 
And then it's an activity that by default you do thousands of thousands of times when you do it. When right. you're doing it wrong thousands of thousands of thousands of times, somewhere or another that catches up to you. Yeah. And then it, on top of that, if you're weak, it's even worse. Yeah. And you see that you see that with these sports, whether it's boxing or jiu-jitsu or whatever. And, uh, and then you can get into muscular imbalances that occur because the sport is going to go in one direction. You could mitigate that with weight training. You don't. You get injuries. That's just how that happens. Um, but, yeah, I think one of the big reasons, if nothing else, you should be strength training just so that you don't get hurt all the time. I mean, who wants injured all the time? And, you know, you could say strong men are injured all the time, but, but they're in that extreme, that extreme side that you don't go into when you're playing another sport, you know. Um, there's the old saying, like, uh, you know, strong men, no, nobody in world's strongest man's at 100%. That's probably true. Mm. But you're not trying to get there. <laughs> you know, same thing. I bet nobody at, nobody in an MMA pay-per-view is, you know, this is like the first guy, the dude's first day. <laughs> like, right. None of them are at 100% either. You know, the sport itself has some dangers and some injuries that are going to be associated with it but those dangers from weightlifting for martial arts don't exist because you're not taking the weightlifting to that point right yeah exactly but uh that was a good talk we'll have we'll definitely have you back on the podcast again there's a lot more to talk about (laughs) yeah a lot more um jerry handley here owner of viking performance training check him out um instagram at viking performance training um also facebook and twitter um Come check it out. Uh, great hours here. The day pass isn't that much. Come check it out. We have all the strongman toys. We train all kinds of athletes. It doesn't matter what sport you're in. Come by, check it out. Talk to Jay and um, see what he can do for you. <clears throat> um, and that's today's episode of Get Strong or Die. Thanks for tuning in.